Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. Mission Log Supplemental, number 17. The one with a little bit of everything. From high atop Mount Silea, welcome to another edition of Mission Log, a supplemental edition. I'm John Champion. And I'm Ken Ray. Each week, we take apart an episode of Star Trek or a movie from Star Trek, trying to suss out the messages, morals, and meanings, and figuring out whether they stand the test of time. That is not what we are doing here, however. In the supplementals, we, we, do, we do supplemental things. We, we, we take uh, questions from listeners. We play little bits of interviews. Sometimes we play big bits of interviews and don't take listeners' questions, but, you know, it's different things at different times. I think what you're saying, Ken, is we, we just get to do whatever we want to do. Well, we do. We do. Yeah. And we've, we've honestly had a lot of time uh, here. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah, because we're a little bit ahead of, you know, the people listening. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so we are, we, we've been on Vulcan for, it feels like, uh, years now. <laughs> right. Hanging out at the Mount Salea gift shop. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> They, they have great robes, but yeah. remember, if you take a robe from your room, they will add it to your bill. That's true. That's true. Yeah. I got the uh, Vulcans Do It Logically bumper sticker. Oh, oh, yeah. yeah oh, very excited you're, you're the, You got the last one. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to put that on okay. a friend's car. It'll be totally Good. awesome. I got, the, uh, I got the Vulcan on board, the little thing. <laughs> yeah, you stick to the window. Yeah. <laughs> and the Mount Salea shot glass. That's always good, mm-hmm. too. All right. So, anyway. Um, we got some stuff to take care of today. We're gonna, we are gonna take some of your uh, questions. We actually have a little bit, a bonus part of an interview that we've played before, but we haven't played this part of the interview before. Ties into our uh, recent dealings with Star Trek II: The Wrath of Khan. Bunch of fun stuff coming up, and then we've got some, uh, some fun business to take care of too. So I didn't want to make it sound like this is not a fun part because <laughs> from the moment we start till the moment we're done. 24-7 fun, except awesome. it's not it's not 24-7, but you get the idea. We're going to be in Las Vegas in a few weeks. The 2014 Star Trek Las Vegas convention from creation, uh, that runs July 31st, 2014 through August 3rd, 2016. So it's a big... <laughs> it's, a huge, yeah, huge it's, convention. It's a long yeah. convention. The yeah. hotel bill is going to be atrocious. Um, July 21st, 2014 through August 3rd, 2014, of course. We're going to have a panel there with Rod Roddenberry. Um, Rod, of course, uh, son of Gene Roddenberry and executive producer and creator of this show. Uh, we're going to be raising some of the topics that we've explored on Mission Log over the last uh, couple of years. Actually, wow, it's going to be yeah. just short of two years by the time the uh, by the time the convention ends, which is kind of nutty. But you know, if, if you've enjoyed uh, hearing us talk about this stuff, then come to the panel and uh, and watch us talk about it too. Because <laughs> what could be more fun than that? And then you well, are, you're also going to be on some other panel, right? Uh, yeah, I, I was invited by trekmovie.com, which uh, incidentally is carrying Mission Log right now as well, um, t- to join their panel about the captains. So it, it's kind of an interesting format. You know, we've done sort of the the 
you know, battle of the captains before. This is sort of like defending your captains. We've got all five. You got Kirk, Picard, Cisco, Janeway, Archer, and then people representing those characters. Um, almost as like a, a like a courtroom <laughs> sort of setting yeah. where we're going to talk about their their strengths and weaknesses, and then try to get a, a winner. Um, I got to I got to tell you. Yeah, yeah, I was actually asked by uh, James Kerwin. Okay. To yeah. uh, represent Archer Init- oh, oh, initially. Yeah, 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 and, yeah. and I thought about writing back to him just a stream of invective because, <laughs> you know, I, I don't know Archer that well. And seriously, yeah. it was obvious. And I mean, nobody any offense. I know somebody's going to defend Archer and they're going to do it beautifully. And there are going to be people out there who say that Archer is their captain. But it seemed obvious to me that there was one captain left <laughs> <laughs> and they had to find somebody. And I uh, have not watched a lot of Enterprise. I've watched yeah. a bit of Enterprise, but really it would have meant watching five seasons of Enterprise over like six months. You only got four. Only four. Oh, only four? Seasons. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Four seasons of Enterprise over six months while we were watching uh, the rest of uh, the original series, then the animated series, then the movies. Yeah. So yeah, I didn't it, do it. It would have been very hard. Now, now I, I will tell you, I wish I had, I, I think Rod actually had joked, and, and this is a really funny idea, and I wish I had done uh-huh. it. I should have put myself in to uh, defend the animated Captain Kirk. <laughs> right? Yeah. yeah. Well. And, and I'll, go ahead, I'll go ahead and make my case now, since I'm not going to be on stage to do it. Okay, go ahead. It took original series Kirk 48 minutes to solve problems. Mm-hmm. How long did it take animated series Kirk? 22 minutes. There you go. <laughs> Every time. <Yep. laughs> Every yep. time. Hey, you know, not as much wasting time, not as much sexism uh, from that, Kirk. Um, <laughs> I mean, really, he's just kind of like, he's, he's, he's essence of Kirk. He is distilled Kirk. He is, mm-hmm. he's go in, get the job done, get out. I, I like that. I think that I might, like I, that I, might I might have been able to defend him for easily... Well, I'd be good for like 22 minutes of the uh, debate anyway. Right, right. Well, let me tell you who else is on the panel. Uh, Kipley Brown from Star Trek Enterprise uh, will be defending Picard. James Kerwin, our, our friend James Kerwin, will be defending Cisco. Kayla will be defending Janeway. And Joe Dickerson will be defending Archer. I have to say that, I, you know, it doesn't matter what I spoil on the supplemental because mm-hmm. we're trying to let that – get into the main mission log episodes. I am an enterprise fan. And I think that Archer is a really relatable captain. Now, like you, I would have had to have gone back and rewatched it because I'm pretty removed from that show. Now having done our, uh, uh, course of work here on mission log, but I think he's a really relatable guy. Mm -hmm. Um, whether or not that makes him the best captain. Well, we'll have to see what Joe comes up with. Yeah. But, um, yeah, yeah, and and best of luck to him. I have to say really quickly, um, Kayla Yakovina, not mm-hmm. not Kayla LaFrance. No, 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 no. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. yeah Kayla Yakovina, who is an editor for TrekMovie.com. Right, and also a volcanologist, but not that kind. Okay. Uh, no, no, no. Oh, we have to call her doctor now. We have to call her Doctor Yakovina. I don't have to call her doctor. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> she's just Kayla to you. Is she, so she's a doctor now. She is. Yeah, it's going to be she impossible is, yeah. to talk to now. Just impossible to talk to. <laughs> okay. Uh, let, let me tell our listeners a little more fun news. We have giveaways. We have awesome, awesome giveaways coming up. Um, through the website, through Facebook, all of that good stuff, we will be giving away three copies 
uh, Star Trek The Next Generation Season 1 on Blu-ray. Uh, check out our Facebook page on our homepage for the details. Um, if you're going to be at the convention in Vegas, we will also be giving away a bonus fourth copy of Next Gen Season 1 on Blu-ray, as well as a transporter from our friends and sponsors, filetransporterstore.com. Um, for those of you uh, who will be at the convention, you will have to be at our panel, which is Friday afternoon, August 1st, 2014. Um that's for, people, be, that's, that's for people listening in the future. Yes, right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. If people, because, you know, like uh, somebody picking up the show for the first time in, let's say, 2017. Yeah. Yeah. yeah we're not necessarily going to be there August 1st. Um, no. no. But if you're listening now, and by the way, if you're listening in 2017, it is it is so too bad that you missed it because our panel was awesome. Mm-hmm. It was no, the it, it was the panel. I, I yeah. really wasn't sure that you know John should do the panel topless, but he said he was going to be able to deliver, <laughs> and and amazingly, I mean, it yeah. really well. It's all over YouTube in 2017, yeah. so just go and <laughs> <clears throat> check check that out. Yeah, check check it out. Uh, that part is a lie. Uh, <laughs> the, the, you don't know. Part, yeah, I, I won't know. That's very true. <laughs> <laughs> that, could, that could easily be happening. Well. Easily. Yeah, yeah. That easily. Yeah. But it could be happening. Right. <laughs> but the thing that is true is that we are giving away great stuff. So go to our website. And then if you are at the convention in Vegas, come to our table. You can sign up for all of that. And then we will be giving it away on stage. And we will announce those winners in the recording that will then become the next supplemental episode of Mission Log. Now, you keep burying uh, parts that people need to know, like, you know, Kayla. Oh, which Kayla? Come to our table. By the way, we're going to have a table. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We're going to have a mm-hmm. mission log table. And, and you're not going to be able to miss it because it's going to be directly across from uh, the Roddenberry table. The, the Roddenberry Island yeah. that they have in, so, the, in the vendor's room. Yeah. So when you back up to take a picture of the Roddenberry Island and you bump into another table, hey, yeah. that's, that's us. us. <laughs> <laughs> that is us. So turn around and say, hey. And, yeah. uh, and no, you cannot come back behind to get a better picture of the Roddenberry Island. Mm-mm. Unless you so, unless you want to talk to us, in which case, yeah, whatever. Yeah, sure, sure. All right, Ken. Well, I, I think it's time to move along to topics. Um, we have, uh, you know, we get a lot of feedback from our listeners at Mission Log, and they they email us, they Skype us, they hit us up on Twitter, and um, I, I want to kind of share what our listeners have been talking about. First of all, a huge thanks for all the kind words about our coverage of the motion picture. Um, honestly, Ken, I didn't know how it would be received. And it seems like a lot of people sat out <laughs> when we did the animated series. Mm-hmm. Uh, shame on you, because it's a good show. And I think our discussions were a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Um, but thank you, thank you, thank you so much for the huge response on the movies so far. As of this recording, we have released the motion picture and the Wrath of Khan. And um, I just have to share like a comment we got from Brian in Los Angeles who said, congratulations, you did the impossible. You made Star Trek the motion picture interesting. Um, hmm. I, I, I don't think it was purely us who made Star Trek the motion picture interesting I think it's an interesting movie and we just sort of shared our enthusiasm for it yeah I don't think he's actually complimenting us as much as he's bashing the motion picture I I agree yeah (laughs) and I gotta say even though we don't have uh, an email right in front of us Mm -hmm. uh, there were a lot of people who said the same thing as we completed the animated series yeah Um, yeah yeah yeah. even people who said I still don't like the animated series 
which we had a few. We had a few people say they still don't enjoy the animated series, but mm -hmm. they now appreciate it a bit more. They feel like there actually was more Star Trek there than they realized, which I think was a realization that you and I came through, uh, came to as well. Oh, yeah. As yeah, we were yeah, going yeah. through it. Yeah, if you sat out, honestly, if you sat out the animated series, you missed a lot of really fun production, too. There's a whole yeah. lot of, there's a whole world of commercials and, and, and John Champion uh, toy trivia. <laughs> right, right. Star yeah. Trek toys, by the way. I, I'm yeah. not, you know. You, you don't have the John Champion toys? <laughs> I, I'm a little disappointed, Ken. Yeah, no, I don't. I don't have the okay. John Champion action figure, but, you know. Right, well, figures are sold separately, Okay. The response to the movies has been cool because they are they are a big undertaking for us. Obviously, it's more to watch and it's more kind of to chew on. Uh, but I think the mission log format still works in discussing the movies. And um, yeah, I'm 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 happy that people listening to it have been happy. You know, it's really interesting. You say it's more to chew on. I I I personally think the movies are kind of less to chew on. The movies mm. are the movies mm. are trying to be you know start to finish somebody's never seen this before let them walk in you know let them be hit with something let them walk out and they never have to come back to star trek again mm -hmm. you know what i mean and we're doing the, yeah. we're doing the tv shows um first of all they're they they get to play more with you know sort of they get to play with the mind a bit more than movies will try to do generally speaking especially movies today but i mean even movies you know from the mid 80s on i think right um right. In some ways, it feels like there's less to chew on, but there's certainly more screen time. So, man, that's a weird kind of. Mm -hmm. Sorry, I'm not. I'm not just arguing with me. I'm, more, I'm arguing with you. I'm more thinking about what you said. Well, I, I think I, I think there's more detail in the movies. Clearly, there's a lot of detail yeah. and and a lot of moments to be parsed to figure out if they fit into our mission, which is discussing ethics, morals, meanings, messages. But but I do agree with you. With And and Judy and Gar, when we had the Reeve Stevens on the show, and they kind of made their case for why Star Trek belongs on TV, yeah. they're essentially saying what, what you're saying, which is when you have the luxury of TV and long production time, you can then dig deep into a character or a topic. In a movie, you have to lean toward spectacle, and in some ways, it doesn't mean you can't have something deep as well, um, but you might give up a little bit of uh, that that long form character study just because of the constraints of making a movie. Mm -hmm. So I get that. I get that. Um, a couple of the topics that I, I think really rose to the top when uh, people were writing to us um, over the last, say, four weeks or so, um, two main things, the first being. In our interview with Curtis Armstrong, uh, go back and listen to that in the previous supplemental. I'm sorry, uh, uh, actually before Judy and Gar, Curtis yeah. Armstrong and Kayla LaFrance. Um, some of our listeners detected that uh, what he was saying was kind of a patronizing take on fandom. And it was sort of a, a perception that he basically said it, indicating that things that aren't TOS, aren't the original series, aren't Star Trek. And, mm -hmm. and put that in quotes. They aren't real Star Trek. Um, first of all, stick around to the end of today's show because we have a little more from Curtis talking specifically about his time with Nicholas Meyer. Um, he, and he also openly insults anybody who likes anything besides the original series. Right, right, right. <laughs> and that's not true. That's not true. Please no, don't, no, no, don't no. send Curtis is booger on Twitter no. uh, hate mail. No, no, no. Or but, hate, uh, hate tweets. But but I, I thought it was interesting and, and I, I thought it was worth replying to because 
I, I think there's kind of a fine line between what he was saying, maybe the intent of what he was saying, and then how I would address that. My, my idea is that, okay, from a personal level, he says that he grew up with the original series. That, that was all that he knew, and he kind of set that in the context of when he was watching it. He was you know, a kid, like a, a teenager, and he was able to watch it on his friend's color TV, and it was just awesome. And then he was hooked, and he went to conventions. And then for a long time after that, he just wasn't exposed to Star Trek. He just wasn't watching it. Mm-hmm. So when Kayla on King of the Nerds says, oh, you got to watch Voyager. Voyager's awesome. He's sort of like, what is this Voyager? I know nothing about that. I know the original series. That's my Star Trek. And to him, that is Star Trek. I, I think if you step back and you look at it from a big, big perspective of what is fandom and what what is Star Trek as a whole – I get where fans can be rankled by that, and and I agree with them to the extent that, you know, I I never want to tell somebody what they should be a fan of. If you are a Star Trek fan because all you know is Into Darkness, awesome, you're a Star Trek fan. If all you know is the original series, awesome, you're a Star Trek fan. If all you know is the animated series, cool, you're a member of the club. Um, There's not a litmus test for what makes you a fan or not. It's just if you're into it, you're into it. Um, and I don't think we can discount somebody who likes one series over another. I, I'm reminded, Ken, of uh, friends that I have, and I, I may have even mentioned this on our show, friends who are hardcore James Bond fans. Mm-hmm. And then they kind of test other James Bond fans like, well, I'm a Sean Connery fan. Wh- who's your favorite Bond? And if you dare to say anybody other than Sean Connery, mm-hmm. <laughs> then, then it's like you're immediately out of, uh, of the discussion. Like, oh, oh you, you like Roger Moore? Oh, no, no, no. Hey, he, he's not James Bond. We don't My even Bond. say Lazenby's name. No, no, you just don't even say it. You know? <laughs> and and I, yeah, it's just kind of a, a nasty kind of one-upmanship. My fandom is better than your fandom kind of thing. And I, I don't want to see that. I don't, you know. I, 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 so I, I get it where listeners might have been rankled by what he said. But I, I don't think the intent was to specifically diminish other fans i think the intent was to say hey to me star trek is this because this is the star trek that i know he's actually in a very interesting place right now and i I, i'm kind of there i mean i joked earlier about you know enterprise sort of being the leftover star trek i've only Mm -hmm. watched i've only watched i want to say maybe the first season of enterprise because it happened to be on in a time where I think for like a year, year and a half, I didn't even have a cable. So it was not really terribly accessible to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to get to rediscover a whole lot of stuff that I've seen once. And then there's a lot of stuff that I haven't even seen at all. Yeah. yeah. He, he is in, in sort of an enviable position right now of having watched the original series and then not having watched anything else. Right. <laughs> He's right. got so much neat stuff to discover. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, that's, he's kind of coming from a place of, uh, you know, well, I mean, he's, he's, he's basically at, at the start of this, this, this whole other universe that he had completely discounted until somebody came to him and said, Hey, come on, you know, try this Mm -hmm. and see what you think. Mm -hmm. That said, we have gotten emails from people who have said, you know, I never really had any use for the original series. Right. Until I started listening to your show. And that's not us. That's Star Trek, obviously. But I mean, you will find, I, I mean, you and I have a friend. You and I have a friend <laughs> who, who Enterprise is her Star Trek. 
Yeah. Okay. I, I, okay. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Okay. And yeah. and how we both have this friend is she goes to the conventions. So I mean mm-hmm. I mean she is a Star Trek fan and she's you know she's hip to all of it. But Enterprise is hers. For me, it's Next Generation, and and for uh, for Curtis, it's uh, well, it's Sherlock Holmes. <laughs> right. Yeah, that is Star Trek or Sherlock Holmes. Yeah. <laughs> which is kind of which is kind of true. By the way, um, uh, to that, you had a you had a thing you wanted to correct about the uh, about the. Um, uh, oh, our coverage yeah. of Wrath of Khan. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I said in the Wrath of Khan episode that Nicholas Meyer directed the 7% solution. He did not. Uh, one of our listeners, Rob, from right here in beautiful Los Angeles, points out that Meyer wrote the book and the screenplay. Uh, Herbert Ross directed the movie. And I, I think what I was doing, I was conflating that with one of my other favorite Nicholas Meyer movies, Time After Time. Mm-hmm. which he wrote and directed. And I love, love, love that movie. It is so good. Um, I'm, I'm especially a fan of the uh, part about he takes off his glasses and puts the arm of them in his mouth. Mm. Free love. <laughs> yeah. Hey, man, the more you study about H.G. Wells, he, he was an interesting guy. <laughs> he was a very interesting guy. Oh, and that was, yeah, it's it's Malcolm McDowell not being scary. I'm sorry, no. Roddy McDowell, excuse me. It's Roddy Mc. Malcolm no, McDowell. Malcolm, Malcolm McDowell. McDowell, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not Planet of the Apes guy. Okay. No. Clockwork no, 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 no. Orange guy. Yeah. It's Clockwork Orange guy not being terribly scary. It is uh, David Warner, who who sort of becomes a a, a bit player in some of the uh, uh, Star Trek movies. Mm-hmm. Um, but he also, of course, was evil in uh, in Time Bandits. Yeah. And Mary Steenburgen, Mary Steenburgen is weird because she really just never, ever, ever stops being lovely. Yeah, but she's really lovely in this movie. She is. Yeah, she's wonderful. A, in it. Yeah, it's yeah. a it's a fantastic movie. Um, but I, did we put the the Curtis Armstrong thing to rest uh, about the fandom? I, I just you know I, I come up away from that and I get why people be upset because I I don't like fan hate. You know, I I, I really do feel like it, it, Star Trek is a very big tent mm-hmm. that should welcome anybody and everybody. The, the cost of admission is that you say, I like Star Trek as well. And that's it. OK. Yeah. You, you remember whether you're the person who saves all year long to go to your favorite convention or you're the person who happens to catch an episode on Netflix Mm-hmm. Uh, it, you know, cool. If you enjoy it, you enjoy it. And um, I, I kind of get tired by the arguments about this is Star Trek. This is not Star Trek. You and I have the luxury of getting to argue in, in hopefully a very civilized way about the 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 thought behind Star Trek. But um, it, it would not behoove either of us to uh, to trash each other about you like this series. That's horrible. You and I go around all the time about Into Darkness, but even then, I think we both respect the idea that our opinions are about content, not about like, oh, if you like this movie, then you're an idiot. <laughs> you know, yeah, that's not an argument I want to have. Yeah, I mean, honestly, it's I can't imagine that we're not going to come across this again. Oh I mean, no! If we course, if we talk course, to yeah. anybody who is um, a celebrity, but who is not tied directly to Star Trek, then there is a very good chance that we're gonna that we're gonna have this again. That somebody's mm-hmm. going to say, "Oh no! Well, you'll never, you know, nothing is the original series, or nothing mm-hmm. is Next Generation, or nothing is Voyager." And it's true, mm-hmm. nothing is any of those things except that they are all Star Trek. So yeah, I say. Mm-hmm. 
when you say do we put it to rest, I say we at the very least let it take a nap because it's quite possible that it's going to want to come out and play again later. And, sure. and then we'll, you know, correct it again and send it back to bed. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. There's another thing, and I didn't really realize this was a thing until I was at the convention last year. Mm-hmm. And this is something that has come up um, from listeners, is the animated series canon. Yeah. Yeah. Boy. Yeah, that I, I would say as soon as we wrap the animated series, everybody on Facebook, Twitter, uh, emails directly to us. They want us to talk more about the animated series and just sort of like wrap it up and decide where it belongs on the shelf mm-hmm. next to Star Trek. And do, do you want to answer that first? Or you want me to answer that first? Well, I mean, I don't know how to answer it, honestly. I mean, certainly it creates a lot of loose ends that never get addressed again. Like, mm-hmm. it, there's a 50-foot Spock out there someplace. <laughs> right. Okay. Right. Yeah, there's, and it's a whole different Spock. It's a completely different 50-foot Spock just hanging, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I would have to say the idea of canon was stupid when mm-hmm. Star Trek the Animated Series was made, right? It was just like, oh, look, we get to make some more Star Trek. Awesome. There was not this, you know, <laughs> right. well, how is this going to fit into a 50-year continuum or a 50-plus right. year continuum? I mean, it was, you know, hey, let's make some cartoons. Okay, great. And, you know, there'll be, there'll be you know, adult stories with adult themes. Not adult themes. Not like, wow, wow, wow. You know, but <laughs> there'll be adult stories with adult themes. But, I mean, but we're going to get to make some more Star Trek. And I don't think there's a lot of worry about, well, what about this 50-foot Spock now? Where is he? And, and why have we never seen another... Felusian, uh, except for in the pocket universe. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it, if you have to make it work, then yes, it has to be canon because it was written by some of the same writers. It is uh, using the same characters. I mean, it, it has to be, uh, despite the fact that <laughs> Gene Roddenberry might not have wanted it to be. Um, I mean, it is. So, you know, you got a deal, I guess. I don't know. I mean, yeah. I, I think, honestly, I think a better question would be. Um, is JJ track canon? Mm. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't know how to answer that question, but we've got a long time before we have to. So yeah, yeah. check check back with us in twelve years, and we'll let you know. Indeed. Um, I, I think a better question for animated series is: Is it Star Trek? And and I think unequivocally, yes, it is Star Trek. No, it, you, it is. You should go into politics. sir what do you think about this well the real question isn't that the real question is this (laughs) Uh, excuse me the question is is the animated series canon because i think both i think you and i both agree yes the animated series is star trek yeah i mean it's it's more star trek than a lot of episodes of star trek i don't think there is an episode of the animated series that i wouldn't rather watch than cat's paw Oh, hell yes. Well, I mean, yeah, seriously. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, Cat's Paw yeah. was, was so, I mean, practically not an episode of Star Trek, except that it had, you know, members of the crew. Mm-hmm. I mean, and everyone, or almost everyone, I think, of the animated series was more Star Trek than Cat's Paw, mm-hmm. as an example. So, yeah. so thank you very well, much, Senator, but I redirect the question to you. Okay, well, <laughs> let, let, let me approach canon this way. <laughs> let, let me approach canon this way. All right. Um, yeah, th- there's a lot of controversy about Star Trek, uh, the animated series, haven't been canonized, decanonized, and who did it, and under what motivation did they do it? And you can go on the Google and try to figure that out for yourself. Um, what it comes down to is this, and I think Dorothy Fontana, if I can kind of summarize what she said about it, um, yeah, 
when they were working on this show, they were working under the premise that this is Star Trek. It is a continuation of the original uh, series. Mm -hmm. So no question about it. That's how they approach it. That's why they got the same writers. That's why they went after the same cast. That's why Gene Roddenberry was a consultant on it. And yeah, that uh, all of those pieces were in place to make that part of canon. Now, fast forward and suddenly Star Trek is back as movies, which nobody ever expected. Uh, they had the potential of it being Star Trek Phase 2, which nobody was thinking about at the time they did the animated series. And then you've got Next Gen, which nobody would have ever imagined, except for maybe Gene Roddenberry, when they were making the animated series. So canon then doesn't become a question for fans. Canon simply becomes a tool for writers to work with. Mm-hmm. And that tool then, it, it basically raises a question of what elements from previously existing Star Trek are we allowed to write about or not allowed to write about? And there are things that happen in the animated series like 50 Foot Spock that clearly you just have to, you have to draw a line of demarcation to say, no, you cannot write about 50 Foot Spock. Oh, because... somebody needs to write about 50 foot spot. <laughs> do you think we're seeing, I know, I know he's already directing and everything, but do you think he's decided on a script for, uh, for the third we, reboot? We, we could get him on the phone. We'll, we, uh, we need 50 yeah, foot we, Spock. We and should, then, yeah. and the next yeah. one. But <laughs> it should be played by, uh, Leonard Nimoy. Yeah. Oh, clearly. clearly. <laughs> <laughs> 80 year old 50 foot Spock. <laughs> but then... That's a movie I'd pay twice for. So so you fast forward several years later and you get to Enterprise and they, they sort of relax this idea of canon where you go, oh, well, wait, well, we can have uh, the, the Vulcan history of the Forge and we can reference things very specifically that were in the animated series. So I, I have to look at the animated series as canon-ish. You know, it, it was written with the intent of being Star Trek. It was written with the intent of being part of that original five-year mission. And, you know, if we want to get really, really nitpicky, then we have to look at all the things that are in the original series or in the movies that are simply inconsistent and decide what stays and what goes. Ultimately, it comes down to what makes the best story. Yeah. You know, um, if you try to build internal consistency for every little thing that happens, you will go nuts. You yeah, will absolutely go crazy. Especially because that's not the way it was set up. I mean, I think no, you, you no. do get with um, Next Gen Deep Space Nine Voyager, mm-hmm. you, you get a bit more of that. You get, you, you, I mean, because you're 20 years in at that point. And so you have people going, eh, maybe we should actually think about how this is going to work with everything else. Right, right. Uh, having started, though, thinking, I mean, it was, what did they say? Wagon train in space. Well, right. I mean, you know, Westerns series anyway, or serials were famous for time to mosey. I mean, that's pretty much how you dealt with that. That's <laughs> right. how you dealt with the character, right? Well, I'm sure everything's going to be fine here. Got to go. So, I mean, yeah, it's, yeah, yeah don't, it, it, just retcon it, okay? Yeah, yeah. Just, just retcon go. it. They they, yeah. they shrank the 50-foot Vulcan back down to size. <laughs> right. And and of course it was actually Abraham Lincoln and Kubla Khan or Genghis Khan, not Kubla. Mm-hmm. Kubla was busy that way. Genghis yeah, Khan. Yeah. yeah. So you know, don't worry about it. Yeah. <laughs> That'll be the next mission log t shirt. Just retcon it. Just retcon it. Yeah. Yeah. Look for that at the table in August. Twenty seventeen. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Um all right, we got an email from uh mission log listener Eric who says uh, regarding our discussion of the Wrath of Khan, you have Khan. 
who is genetically engineered to be tougher, stronger, and smarter than normal people. And yet Kirk, a normal person, has no trouble outsmarting him. He utterly fails to learn the lesson of Moby Dick, a book he clearly admires, or at least was the only book he had available to read for at least 15 years, which is, before embarking on a mission of vengeance, dig two graves. Khan is such an idiot, it's difficult to see how he rose to power in the 1990s. Hmm. Hmm. I don't know. He took over the Enterprise in less than 40 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. I, I wouldn't say that Khan is an idiot. I, I, I just think that Khan is... Khan is maybe just more deluded uh, about the things that, that he is doing. He, he is so single-minded. Yeah, let me put yeah. it this way. H- have you heard these uh, scientific studies, uh, neurological studies, about people who show signs of um, antisocial behavior? And on the far extreme, you have people who are serial killers. They have no empathy. They have no remorse. So they can do that and think that that it's okay. Mm-hmm. All right. But then somewhere along that spectrum, you also have people who are doctors, who are research scientists, who can turn on that part of the brain that allows them a little bit of detachment so that then everything doesn't become overwhelmed with empathy and it allows them to do their jobs. You know, so it's a little bit of that focus that uh, that allows him to do something that maybe somebody else could not do. And maybe something about Khan is that you're you're sort of overamping everything that he can do. And like the great stories of Star Trek, if we don't temper that with compassion, then we let our creation run wild and then we really have a problem. So Khan is very strong, but he also has this streak of antisocial, psychotic behavior tempered with this idea of total focus, total dedication to his mission, that some of the details then fall by the wayside. So even when people are telling him, no, don't do this, you have already won, he's like, no, 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 I'm going to do this. Yeah. He's, I mean, he's, I mean, he's just become obsessed at this point. I mean, that's really mm-hmm. what it comes down to, it seems to me. I don't think we can talk about whether he's smart or not. I mean, granted, what we're given to know that he is smart is the fact that he keeps telling us. And, <laughs> right. and, I mean, if you know the history that's presented in the original series, then he was one of the, I think, 12 warlords that basically took over the planet mm-hmm. until he got ousted. So, I mean, it's, it's, really just, it's really just a story of obsession. I mean, when you say he didn't learn anything from Moby Dick, well, he's living it. Yeah. I mean, that, that's really yeah, what, yeah, it, yeah. what it comes down to, it seems to me. I have to address one other thing about uh, Khan. Mm-hmm. I said, well, we said, actually, in, in uh, our wrap-up of uh, The Wrath of Khan, mm-hmm. uh, I don't understand why Kirk thinks that he's going to beat Khan uh, because Khan would just, you know, tear him in half in front of his son, right? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Uh, and a couple of people wrote to us and said, you know, uh, it, it's uh, the decisions so far are one o Kirk right. <laughs> as okay. far as the fights. Okay. Here's the thing. Uh, Kirk is older. And while Khan looks older, he's still a genetically enhanced individual. I don't. I don't think now. Now somebody did point out that Kirk did have weapons down in the Genesis vestibule. Yeah. So maybe his thinking yeah. was, Khan, you're gonna have to come down here. And the second he, <laughs> the second he materializes, shoot him. Right. Yeah. Right. But that that hardly seems like a Kirk maneuver. Uh, no, I, I know. know. That's a, actually he would yeah. wait for him to get there. He would show him he has the phaser. He would then toss the phaser aside and put up his dukes, and then. 
Then he would get his ass kicked. Khan would rip out his arms (laughs) and beat David with his own father's arms. (laughs) Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, That's a good movie. That's in the, uh, that's in the director's cut. Yeah. (laughs) Well, the director's director's cut, the one that plays in my mind. Seriously, there's a matinee later. Stop by. Uh, Greetings and salutations, Mission Log. This is John Arminio at Quasar Sniffer on Twitter. I have a comment about the uh, episode Sharper Than a Serpent's Tooth. Um, Now, both of you gentlemen talked uh, very wonderfully about how past uh, episodes of Star Trek and other movies like Prometheus um, have touched on the subject of, you know, uh, ancient aliens coming to Earth and being perceived as gods. And I think there's also um, a lot of specific parallels with this episode and uh, Indiana Jones and the Crystal Skull with all the Mesoamerican details and those gods kind of inspiring architecture all over the world with similar features and all that kind of stuff. So I'm wondering if this is just kind of a trope, um, not any fault of the writer of this specific episode, but that's we, that we should just be done with in science fiction we should just be like, okay, this is done. We've explored this possibility, but let's put it to bed at least for now. The same way, like, you know, in fantasy, the damsel in distress trope is kind of tired. There's other things that we could write about. So maybe this is just an example of one of those, and we can move on. And fortunately for us, um, Star Trek did move on and did do many, many other creative things. So uh, thank you, and I look forward to the next journey with uh, both of you fellows. Love long and prosper. All right. Thank you, John, uh, regarding how sharper than a serpent's tooth and uh, kind of paralleling that with the, the episodes that we talked about, like uh, Who Mourns for Adonais, and then we, we kind of got off on that tangent about Prometheus and, uh, as John brought up, Indiana Jones and the Crystal Skull. So, yeah, this, this idea of uh, super advanced alien races coming to Earth a long time ago and then messing with things and sometimes we end up worshiping worshiping them as gods um and he says is this a trope that we should put to bed for now i mean it's something that keeps coming up and we talked about prometheus prometheus was what i guess as we record this it was only two years ago well i think he's asking is it overplayed i mean i i think what i said when we did how sharper than a serpent's tooth was you know if we go by Star Trek history, the universe is just littered with these advanced races who have a god complex who just feel like it's okay to show up and, and mess around with things. We should be able to look at our entire human history and go, oh, yeah, another alien. Oh, oh, look, another alien for that race. Oh, another one showed up there. Mm-hmm. So the idea of putting it to bed, the just being kind of done with that idea at least in terms of star trek i'm I, i'm okay with that <laughs> you know I, I think we had some good episodes that dealt with the idea um will we see that kind of theme show up again in star trek well we'll see versions of it yes we, we, we'll see aliens visiting and messing with earth not necessarily wanting to be worshipped i would love somebody to write a story where a bunch of aliens screw with one race that would actually be kind of fun. They when keep you, coming back and fighting over it. Well, when you bring when you bring this up, uh, what I'm reminded of is uh, what's what's six times nine? Fifty four. No, six times nine is forty two. See, <laughs> it, was, 
It was uh, Life, the Universe, and Everything, I think, right? Or maybe it was uh, the restaurant at the end of the universe. I can't remember uh-huh. which. Uh, Benji Mouse and, and the other one uh, commissioned uh, the building of the planet Earth to run this uh, matrix, right? Mm-hmm. And, and figure out the uh, question to the ultimate answer of Life, the Universe, and Everything. Well, we know that the answer is 42. And so they're running this mm-hmm. billion years program to find out what the question is. But the problem is the Golga Frenchum crash landed on the planet and ended up supplanting the, 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 the carbon-based life forms that were meant to run the equation, you know, that being a Cro-Magnon man, with themselves. And so they introduce a variable. And according to Mr. Ugg, who is drawing tiles from a Scrabble, uh, from a Scrabble bag and, and spitting out the answer just um, mechanically, uh, or spitting out the question, rather, to the ultimate answer, uh, what is six times nine mm-hmm. is the question. And the answer is 42. Something got gummed up. <laughs> got it. And that would actually be a great thing to see. Just like a whole bunch of godlike characters <laughs> going, nah, give him another arm. <laughs> <laughs> you know, or uh, does the head have to be quite so symmetrical? You know, right. I mean, it'd be great, like every 5,000 years, somebody comes and just monkeys with the, uh, no, monkeys with the monkeys. And you end up uh, with uh, some sort of, that would be actually a very fun Get Bob Orsi on the phone again. <laughs> Be a very different kind of movie, though, and, and the wackiest episode of Star Trek ever, or the wackiest Star Trek movie ever. <laughs> right. Even more so than Galaxy Quest. Mm-hmm. To John's question, I'm I, I, I'm I'm done with uh, with the godlike <laughs> aliens in need of worship. Um, and I, I say more of them. You say more of it. Absolutely, okay. lots of them. Though I want, like you know, yes. When like a whole stage of gods going, well, okay, you can thank him for that extra arm if you want to, but seriously, that, you know, head leaning to the left thing, totally me. What's our next email, Ken? Who is this from? I'm sorry. Uh, I was from, from Dan. From Dan. Okay, yeah. sorry. After yeah. listening to your TMP podcast, I like how you guys mentioned Spock's um, persona sort of locking into place in this film, whereas in the series, one week he's okay with being half human, the next he isn't. Using that example, I would love to hear you guys uh, call out Bones on the McCoy contradiction in your The Wrath of Khan show. Obviously, to a large degree, this came about due to the change in regime from Gene still being the overseer of things track to uh, his being pushed aside by Paramount for Harv Bennett and Nick Meyer, who clearly had some different philosophical ideas on how to pursue the next film. But thematically, it's a huge 180-degree swing in philosophy to go from having Bones rip Kirk a new one for not accepting his new role as an elder statesman, desk-bound admiral, and acting like a bitter old man, to having Bones rip Kirk a new one for accepting his fate as an elder statesman, a desk-bound admiral, and acting like a bitter old man. Eh, It doesn't really strike me as a contradiction for Bones, honestly, because he, Mm. he was always sort of a Gumby character. Oh, I mean, it's a, forgive me, it's a contradiction for the character, but he was always treated... That was one of my biggest complaints about uh, this character in particular. Mm-hmm. Whatever we need him to be this week, he's going to be. And it was the same for Scotty, too. But uh, it almost seems worse for Bones. It's like, oh, we, so this week we need him to be hitting on everything with a skirt. Okay, that's <laughs> right, fine. Right. And this week we need him to be, you know, stoic. And this week we need him to be completely sensible. And this week he needs to give into his passions. I honestly do think that Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, was almost a reboot of the movies. Mm. And so, yes, I think the motion picture is canon, although, as somebody else pointed out, where's the new godlike entity that was created by, you know, Decker getting it on with V'ger? Yeah, <laughs> right, right. We don't know, and we'll probably never hear from it again. 
But, um, I mean, they, they, they kind of reset Kirk's character in the motion picture by, you know, okay, so he was this desk bomb thing, but now he's coming back and he's, and he's taking command. And, oh, yeah, look at that. And then they do the exact same thing again to start Star Trek Two. Yeah. It, it feels to me like, like I don't want to say that you can completely discount TMP, but as far as the character development in, in the motion picture, it, it with the exception of what happens to Spock... Um, it, it feels like everything else that happens with the characters can be ignored from the motion picture, and uh, and maybe we pick up from uh, the Wrath of Khan as far as the character development. Anyway, that's I, sort of my take on it. What about you? I, I like to think that maybe there's a missing scene um, because I, you can cut again. We'll go back to our T-shirt, just retcon it. Yeah, I, I feel like you can justify McCoy's different positions on Kirk between the motion picture and the Wrath of Khan. Um, if you just purely take it on the basis that Kirk is acting like a jerk in the motion picture. Yes, he is. Okay. So he's full of himself. He's smug. He's heroic. He's going to take that command partly because he is the best person for the job, but a huge part of that because it's ego. And we see his fish out of water, his failing at that. Um I like to think that what McCoy is saying is not, um, you, you know, you're not accepting your new role. It's, Kirk, you're being an ass about this. You, you are disrespecting the people around you by doing this. It's okay if you want to be captain again. It's okay if you still want to be in the captain seat, but but you've got to reconcile this on your own. So it, it's okay to me that that McCoy is that little angel or demon on Kirk's shoulder whispering something into his ear about, how Kirk is behaving. McCoy has always been that, and Spock has always been that as well. And as we know throughout the history of Star Trek, Kirk at least has surrounded him with people whose opinions he respects and will actually listen to before he has to make a final decision. So, yeah, the the advice may be a little bit different, but this is a slightly different Kirk that we meet in The Wrath of Khan than we met in the motion picture. And if we go back and kind of retcon that timeline again, there's a bigger gap between the motion picture and The Wrath of Khan than just the three years between the movies being released. Yeah, you're not actually, you're not retconning that. I mean, it's yeah, it's yeah. stated that the, the motion picture is about two and a half years after the five-year mission. Right, right. But then... Um, yeah, Star Trek Two is fifteen years after the first season, mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. it's been it's been like seven years at this yeah. point, and that's plenty of time for for you know situations to have changed and McCoy's opinion of them to have changed. Yeah, so I'm I'm okay with. It. I think it's a really good thing that Dan picked up on that that Bones does have this little bit of flip flop, and I think you and I are both okay with it for different reasons. You yeah, know. mostly because I mean, flip flop is practically McCoy's middle name, I mean, <laughs> right? Through yeah. no fault of his own, he's not that kind of character. It's just writers are like, ah, we need something, somebody to do something. Sure, <laughs> just, just as long as he sounds irascible, then it's okay. Whatever he says, yeah. Damn it, John, um, he's a doctor, not irascible. <laughs> right? Oh, irascible. Right, uh, I'm sorry, I misunderstood. Go yeah, ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 
All right. Uh, last email. Guys, I have some stupid questions. No, they're not stupid questions. Mm. Uh, regarding <laughs> regarding, <laughs> uh, regarding when you guys reach the next generation in a few weeks, will the website design change to represent TNG? Will you guys bring Will Wheaton on as a guest? Will the format of the podcast go back to one similar to TOS's? Kevin. Thank you, Kevin. Questions uh, with the answers to your question. Uh, no idea. No idea. No idea. Well, no, yeah, no, we no. know about the last one. The last one, I mean, it's yeah. already started to go back to that a little bit with the movies. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So we, we have changed it up. Um, for, format will be coming back to about the way it was, probably. Yeah. We're always open to kind of tweak it to to make it fit better for what our listeners ask for or whatever pleases us from week to week. <laughs> you know, um, as far as guests, uh, who knows? We have a long list of guests that we want and that we have reached out to. And honestly, it's just a matter of timing. You know, it, it, it's not just the hour that we sit down with somebody. It's the hours and hours and hours of planning and editing and everything else that we do along with it. So um, who knows? We we love having guests. It's just a matter of making it fit. And as far as a website, uh, stick around. We we have ideas. <laughs> so why, why, why did you even take this question if you weren't going to answer it? I asked I you, Senator. I, I answered it. Yeah, okay. I answered you, you said it. that there was a question. Oh, <laughs> uh, uh, you could go and meet the press. I'm just saying. Well, how much? How much more detail would you like on that? I, what, me? I yeah. know the answers. Whatever. Don't worry about it, man. Let's go on. We got other stuff, right? I think we have other stuff, don't we? Yeah, that's it. We're, we're going to end with uh, with our uh, uh, conversation with Curtis Armstrong, talking about Nicholas Meyer and uh, a couple of other comments from listeners, and uh, and that'll do it for today's supplemental. And then we will see you in just a, a very few days uh, when we go uh, Spock hunting. No, <laughs> no, on the search for Spock. What do King of the Nerds creator Curtis Armstrong, King of the Nerds winner Kayla LaFrance, Wrath of Khan director Nicholas Meyer, and Sherlock Holmes all have in common? The answer, of course is Star Trek. Have you ever met or talked to Nicholas Meyer? Oh yes, I, 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 know, I know Nick because initially I did a, uh, a few years ago, I did a pilot with him. Oh, okay, and, cool. Uh, and we, we did it up in uh, Vancouver, I think. And it was never picked up. But um, but it was really fun, actually, because the year before, I think, uh, the, before we did this, I had been in New York for the Baker Street Irregulars dinner. Hmm. And Nick had been uh, inducted into the Baker Street Irregulars that year. Oh, OK, cool. And I was I had been inducted, I think, the year before. So I was there. W- at the dinner with Nick Meyer, but I never actually got a chance to talk to him. Mm -hmm. And so the next thing I know, I think a year later, I get an audition for Nicholas Meyer for this pilot. So I went in to read for it and he's there at a table with, you know, the casting people and a couple of producers and so on. And I I went in and I read and I have to say, and I don't say this often, but I read well. (laughs) <laughs> and uh, 
And it was one of those moments where you actually think that you read well and you're right, as opposed to many more times when you read for something and you think you did well and you never hear from them again. Right. Um, And so we finish the the read and he says, I'm – I know you from some, uh, somewhere. He said, I mean, I know your work, but I have a feeling I've seen you somewhere. And I said, well, you may have seen me last year at the BSI dinner when you got your – and his face started to light up. And <laughs> I said, I actually was inducted the year before. And Nicholas Meyer at this point leaps up from behind the table, rushes around the table to me. grabs me and hugs me and he then turns to the people who are auditioning me and said you people don't have any idea what it means to have the letters bsi after your name and they're just sitting there looking blank and had no i mean we may have we might have you know lapsed into Sumerian as far as these people <laughs> none of it may you know Baker Street Irregulars and and so it was but it was really it was really fun so I went up and I did that with him and then uh, subsequently I've been to two events with him where we've been doing uh, we've presented papers uh, at, at BSI events uh, one here in LA and one uh, one in um in Indianapolis, so we, uh, or Bloomington, so we uh, we see each other, you know, socially on those occasions. But cool. uh, unfortunately, the pilot never went, and so forget. But, but essentially, essentially, what you're proving is that Hollywood is a a network of secret cabals and cliques, oh. and uh, you can only get a job if you know the secret handshake. Well, so, it, uh, it helps. Yeah, yeah right. Uh, but right. of course, the the thing about about. Uh, Baker Street Irregulars is that it's not a um, it's not a uh, you know it's not one of the cabals that really gets you anywhere I mean it's for people, <laughs> it's for people like Nicholas Meyer and me right. who get enormous joy out of out of uh, out of these things and it's interesting because when he did the um, when we did this event in, in Bloomington at University of uh, Bloomington I guess uh, he, he uh, what he was doing. I was doing a paper, and he was doing uh, a question and answer. He was hosting a, a screening of Seven Percent Solution. Mm, cool. But one of the things that came out of it, in addition to this screening, was enormous discussion, not just about Sherlock Holmes, but about Star Trek. Okay, Curtis. So I know you you didn't watch a lot of Next Generation. Is that correct? No. Okay. Did you ever watch the episodes with the holodeck program and Data and the Moriarty character? Oh yes. What did I you did. think? Of those? Yeah, I mean, I thought it was brilliant. I mean, I I really like that because, like I say, I I, I have uh, I going back to the '60s, there was so much uh, uh, interplay between. Uh, between the Holmes world and the Star Trek world, it was really, it was really fun to see that. And I, there was another one too. I'm trying to remember what the other one was. Maybe you can, I, I, in one of the later shows, there was something. It seems to me, 
having to do with this. And then there was also that the, there, there was also the Spock. It wasn't just that Spock was very Holmesian or Holmesian. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was also Nimoy because Nimoy played Sherlock Holmes and he played him on a, on a, a PBS uh, uh, special when it was still NET and uh, he played him on Broadway in the William Gillette play. Um, so there, the, 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 the mixture of, of, uh, of Star Trek and, and Holmes was always, was always delightful. Um, and then there was also, oh, I know what I was thinking. It wasn't really Sherlock Holmes at all. It was, it was, uh, Jack the Ripper. It was, uh, it was the, uh, you know, Ray Jack, Ray Jack, Ray Jack, Ray Jack, <laughs> uh, okay. that, uh, was, was really fun because in a way uh, there, there's the Sherlock Holmes fandom, there's the Star Trek fandom and believe it or not, there is a Jack the Ripper fandom. Uh, and, uh, the three of them coming together sort of, or at least two of them in, uh, Star Trek was really fun. Sure. Sure. Well, and, uh, of course you must be a fan of, uh, Nick Meyer's movie time after time. Oh yes. Oh my yeah. God. Yeah. I absolutely loved that movie. It's uh, so cool. It, it's just so great. I mean, so brilliant. One of the things I loved about that movie, uh, one of my favorite things is Malcolm McDowell, uh, asked by the police what his name is and he doesn't want to say H.G. Wells because he thinks mm-hmm. they'll think he's crazy so he picks Sherlock Holmes because he figures even though it's never said it's <laughs> obvious that he picked it off the top of his head because he figured no one would remember that name right, <laughs> right. <laughs> which was just awesome that so I, good. I screamed when that happened <laughs> <laughs> Hey guys, this is Grayson from Tampa. Before we get to completely passing up the time of the original series, I had a really interesting experience. I went to see 2001 A Space Odyssey at the Tampa Theater at a great projection, old movie house. It was really something to see. I went with my dad. It was a really good time. And it dawned on me that 2001 may have saved Star Trek for all of us. Uh, and of course, 2001 came out basically at the end of the run of Star Trek. It was basically being made while Star Trek was airing. But if you go back to the beginning, uh, I think we all agree that, that the second pilot, Where No Man Has Gone Before, and the performance of Gary Lockwood in that as Gary Mitchell uh, really crystallized what the series was going to be about. It was this uh, just this powerful ability of, of one character to sort of flip the show and uh, it gave us the Rock'em Sock'em fight, it gave us the deep ideas, it gave us everything, and he really had to nail that performance. Well, he, of course, was in 2001 A Space Odyssey, and uh, he, he, and he had been cast in the movie by that point, and it, as you can imagine, you get cast in that movie. Uh, they hadn't started shooting the casting scenes, the scenes were cast in in 2001, that happened just a little bit after they shot, and we're talking about a matter of months after they shot Where No Man Has Known Before, and you can imagine when you cast in a movie like that, he was cast as Frank Poole, you're going to have these long, crazy space conversations with Stanley Kubrick, and you're going to have this mentality of looking at the big picture, of seeing this as more than just Buck Rogers in space. And I can't help but thinking that his, Gary Lockwood's experience of starting to work on 2001 influenced his experience on Star Trek, which was really the catalyst for getting that show going. So we have, uh, we have him to thank uh, for all of this. Stanley Kubrick, of course. Love the show, guys. Thank you. Hello, John and Ken. This is Greg, long-time listener, first-time caller. I can't believe in the Infinite Vulcan, 
you did not reference the day the earth stood still. Obviously, the Philosians and giant Spock and the doctor went on to build the race of gorts that look after our universe and our our universe police force. So um, I can't believe you missed that one. Just thought I'd check in with you. Have a good one. Bye. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.